Welcome to the sixth episode of Menu Stories. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Today, we get to meet executive chef Adam Keogh of the famed Absinthe Brasserie and Bar in beautiful Hayes Valley. Absinthe has become the quintessential date night spot. You can easily stop in for a cocktail or a glass of wine from their famous bar, or get the full restaurant experience at one of their red velvet tables. They even have a private dining room where we recorded this interview. Originally, Absinthe, run by owner Bill Russell Shapiro, started out in 1990 as a Mediterranean restaurant called Rose Marino in the upscale, almost suburban Presidio Heights neighborhood. The restaurant quickly outgrew itself, and in 1998, Shapiro moved the location to the Hayes Valley Civic Center neighborhood in the heart of San Francisco's Performing Arts Center, long before Hayes Valley adorned its trendy and chic vibe we identify it with today. You can say that Absinthe had something to do with that. While Shapiro was establishing Absinthe as the San Francisco fun fine dining staple that it's become, Chef Adam was training under none other than legendary Chef Michael Mina. Chef Adam has earned a number of prestigious accolades from being a James Beard Foundation Rising Star Chef semifinalist twice, to bringing Absinthe into the San Francisco Chronicle's coveted Top 100 Bay Area Restaurants list for the first time in the restaurant's history, starting in 2011. Despite the success, Chef Adam is warm and approachable, just like what he wants his restaurant to feel like, and his South Boston accent immediately gives away his roots. Let's have a listen. of Absinthe and Arlequin Cafe. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us today. So in your own words, can you describe what Absinthe is? Sure. Um, You know, Absinthe to me is a true neighborhood restaurant. We, you know, the reason I say that is we have regulars that come back three to four times a week to dine. Um, You know, the style of food here is a California-influenced French brasserie with, you know, a strong focus on service, but not uh, intrusive service. We really try to make the night about the guest, and we're there to get everything they need without being intrusive. And I think that's uh, part of, you know, how we design our service here. Um, You know, the restaurant, you know, caters to uh, symphony and opera goers. What I like about the restaurant is this three different rooms. There's uh, the bar and cafe area seems to be more casual. You have people in jeans and a baseball hat having a beer and a burger. You go into the next room and there's people in tuxedos having a more finer dining experience on their way to the opera. And then the third room is our private dining room, which, uh, you know, caters groups to 40 to 45. So it's, you know, we try to tailor the menu to accommodate all those different experiences here. And we're lucky to be in the private dining room now. I've never been inside of it before. So this is a treat for me. Can you share a little bit about how the restaurant got started and the story behind that? Yeah. Um, I wasn't here in San Francisco at the time in 1998 when it opened. Um, But from what I've spoken with the owner and people that have been here about is, you know, they kind of grew out their restaurant space they're in called Rose Marino. Um, and they took a chance on Hayes Valley, which was kind of a rough neighborhood that not many restaurants or anybody was investing in, 
you know, the only thing it had really going is the theater district was close by. So Billy really took a chance here to the point, you know, in the first few years of this restaurant opening, there were security guards at the door. Yeah, over the years, you know, that we, we grew a reputation for quality food and service. You know, we got a, some really good feedback from locals in the neighborhood, and the neighborhood kind of blossomed around Absinthe, the Hay Street Grill, as well as Jardinier, kind of groundbreaking restaurants that uh, began Hayes Valley. And, and were those restaurants here before Absinthe opened or Hay, after? Hay Street Grill was the first. I think Jardinier was the second. We were mm-hmm. the third. But, you know, I think that all three restaurants really uh, developed the neighborhood and made people comfortable coming here to go to these restaurants. And, you know, the, rest, the, the neighborhood kind of blossomed around that. It seems like there's a trend where restaurant restaurateurs will explore new neighborhoods probably driven by rent prices that's that's true that's i mean that's the best way is to get it when it's low and wait till it goes high and in in the restaurant or the neighborhood uh you know builds up that's exactly what we're doing with our new restaurant bayota that's going to be at 888 brandon at the jewelry mart in soma and that neighborhood is the same type of thing for us you know and it's you know an up-and-coming neighborhood it's not going to be at its full potential for three to four years but we know that going in so i think the way billy designs these concepts he picks those type of neighborhoods and he helps build up different neighborhoods so i think he's done a great job with hayes valley here and uh, we we can't wait to see what happens at bayota i mean definitely absinthe is a staple of the neighborhood here how have you seen it change since you joined I mean, there's just been a lot of restaurants that have opened up from Nojo to the Grove. We've got Rich Table, Monsieur Benjamin. There's apartments going in. Uh, they've kind of tore down a lot of the parking lots and building, you know, shops. There's more uh, clothing stores and bars. So it's it's changed quite a bit in the last five years. So how did you get started? It sounded like there was an interesting recipe that you were working on since you were quite young. Can you share a little bit about how you got started? Well, there's two different things. You know, first I'll talk about my, my first cooking experience. I was nine or ten. I had a birthday sleepover, and I created something called pizza nachos. And they're still, you know, on Facebook every now and then. Someone will send me a little note like, remember pizza nachos? You know? But basically it was just tortilla chips um, with pizza squeeze sauce, ragu pizza squeeze sauce, mozzarella cheese, and chopped up uh, pepperoni, and I just bake them in the oven, and it was like the biggest hit to a 9 or 10-year-old. Everybody loved them. So that was probably the first thing I have ever really created. But they were cool. At 9 or 10, that was cool. (laughs) Uh, Where are you from? Originally, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, yeah. So this is in in Boston proper? uh... Yeah, I mean, I grew up in um, the North Shore of Boston until I was about 12, and then I moved to South Boston, um, lived with my father the rest of my my time there. So Pizza Nachos made a debut in North Boston. Yeah, this was in a town called Linfield. Great. Yep. <laughs> well, yep. Linfield is now famous for their yep. <laughs> pizza nachos. Only a select few know of them. <laughs> so I, I read somewhere that, that you were also famous for your burger recipe. Um, yeah, I mean, I this is something that when I was probably 13, 12 or 13, I started playing around. And it was usually just dumping the spice rack into burger meat and trying different combination. I'd chop up onions and garlic. And then after time, I kind of perfected it um, to the point where every time there was a barbecue going, I was asked to make them. And it was, you know, it's burgers are delicious. Everybody likes them and they're inexpensive, so you can feed a lot of people. So um, I kind of, that was that was my go-to anytime there's a barbecue. Sounds like there's kind of a fearlessness of just trying some 
kind of crazy combinations and <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I mean works. I definitely have I, I I mean I think with the restaurant I try to keep things approachable but um, you know there's always something hidden in that maybe it doesn't it's not printed on the menu uh, for example you know chilies I really love using chilies but you know in French or French cooking you don't see a lot of chilies being used but you know I can make a French recipe and just a touch of charred chilies in some way um, to give it a little bit of heat on the back of the palate. That's something I incorporate into the, the my cooking here quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from making you know burgers and growing up in South Boston mm-hmm. to where you are now as the head chef at one of the top restaurants in the country? Well, I mean, I started when I was 16 in a small neighborhood restaurant. Um, making. I actually started as a dishwasher my first few months, and then I was moved up to sandwich, and I was making sandwiches at lunch, and then the chef was like, he's getting pretty good. Let's see how he does at saute at dinner. And we, they started training me, and by 17, I was running the saute station a little little family restaurant and um you know the chef and owner really uh you know took it upon themselves to try to make me better the owner even sent me to a little culinary school to take a few classes on french cooking and um, i really just started to love it so i think my passion grew as i gained confidence and then uh, by 19 my my chef was writing a uh, alumni letter to cia where he went and he wanted me to follow in his footsteps go to that school so he really inspired me to do that so how, what brought you out to California? Well, I mean, in, in 2003, 2004, I kind of, you know, I was working at a restaurant called Ambrosia on Huntington, and the chef wanted to change this, the concept of the restaurant to a steakhouse. Um, it wasn't something I was really passionate about, so I, you know, decided I'm going to probably make a move, and I think I exited right at, well, I opened the restaurant with him, and then uh, probably about three months after, I decided to move to California. And honestly, one of the um, things that inspired me is uh, a guy I work with, Josh Gaines, who's the owner of Cezanne in San Francisco here. Him and I worked as line cooks and then sous chefs at Ambrosia, and he was out here. He just started at a restaurant called Chez TJ, and he, you know, we were talking weekly, and he's like, you've got to get out here. The ingredients are just, you've never seen anything like it. You go to a market, and you see 20 types of radishes. You see 15 types of melons. I mean, it's it's just a whole different world for a chef, so you've got to get out here, and he really... Uh, was in my ear quite a bit and sure enough a few months later I was out here and you know the, the the funny story with coming out here actually is I never visited California I got on a plane with all of my stuff and I came out here and it was my first time in California when I moved here did you have a job I did not have a job I had a friend um, who actually was a server at absinthe not back then um, he was he was working at the Park Chalet back then but I slept uh, on the floor of his apartment for a few months until the room opened up uh, and someone moved out, and then, uh, yeah, that, that's how I came out here. Where was the apartment? It was right at Kearney and Bush, right downtown. Wow. There's, like, no apartments there, but there's one above the uh, little <laughs> nail shop down there. That sounds like an adventure. It, it was. I mean, I, I, I worked with a girl from American Island Airlines, and we just loaded up the uh, cargo part of the plane and came out here with her, and she flew me out, and that was it. That's Never awesome. haven't. Well, I've been back for vacations, but that's it. I started, I was working at Shea TJ um, with Josh Gaines, and I was kind of in touch with Michael Mina. You know, I had a connection of a guy named David Daniels in Boston, who I worked with um, at Ambrosia, and he was kind of a friend of our company. And he introduced me to Michael Mina, and it, Michael was just starting to open up Michael Mina San Francisco at the, the Westin. And so Michael called me and said, you want to be part of the opening team? I said, sure. Started that process. I was with him for about three months pre-opening, and then 
I was making a little bit more money doing something else, and I really needed it at the time. So I, I kept with Shea TJ and decided to, to not pursue that. A couple years later, Michael wants to open a restaurant in Orange County. He gave me a call again, said, you want to do this? And I said, all right, I'm ready. So we, we ended up uh, moving down to Dana Point, California, opening up Stonehill Tavern at the uh, St. Regis. The scenery there must have been quite a shock and a little bit different from... It, I mean, it was... I mean, we were living on the beach. Yeah. It was, it was something I've never experienced, especially coming from Boston with, you know, feet of snow every year. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was quite a lifestyle down there. You know, your, your my apartment was 10 minutes from the beach. We used to stop by the beach in the morning before work. So, totally different lifestyle than a city lifestyle. Yeah. What brought you back to San Francisco from that? I just didn't think it was rewarding enough. Um... You know, we, we were working long hours to serve 30 or 40 people sometimes during slower seasons. It's quite seasonal down there. And I just wanted to, you know, be in a busier restaurant, something in the city. And I, I really miss San Francisco. I miss the food scene here. I miss the uh, farmer's markets here, the restaurants. Um, and I decided to come back. Did you come back for a specific opportunity? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I was in between. Am I going to go to L.A. or am I going to go to San Francisco? And um, I was talking to Billy uh, the owner of Absinthe for quite a while, you know, interviewing over the phone, and I was interviewing with some other people in L.A., and I just, I think I I, I just trusted him a little bit more. I, I really wanted to partner up with somebody who um, had the same visions as me in the restaurant business, and Billy is a really made an impression on me, so I, I decided to follow him. So then when you moved back to San Francisco, you came into this executive chef Right. Role. Yeah, and the, the person, what's funny is the person I moved out here to stay with was a server here, and he was in my ear saying, you, you should really go for this position, Adam. Um, you know, Billy's a great guy to work for, and he, he said nothing but the best things about him. So, um, you know, as I was interviewing, I said, you know what, i got to really give this a chance, and you know, I, I came right into this job when I came up here. So how does that work when there's kind of this um, established restaurant with a known menu and, uh, you know, patrons mm-hmm. that are used to the restaurant and the dishes? How does that how does that work when a new chef comes in? Were you able to bring in some of your own flavor and style and new dishes? Sure. I mean, that's, that's the toughest thing um, coming into a restaurant that's been open for many years is to... You know, how do you make that transition without upsetting guests who are used to a certain expectation or a certain dish? So, we, you know, we look at uh, what sells. We look at feedback from um, different staff members. We talk to the owner. We talk to regulars and see what kind of items need to stay. And, you know, that was probably the first thing we did is decide what needs to stay and what kind of things can change, what dishes can change. You know, for example, the onion soup that will never leave. I mean, it's the same recipe for 17 years, and I think it's it's the best I've ever had. It's not my recipe. We've enhanced it a little bit, but it's the, it's pretty much the same recipe. Dishes like that can't change. Um, our croque-monsieur, croque that can't change. Um, our burger, you know, I've changed the meat around and a few things, the different grinds, um, but we're always going to have that. You know, we're going to always have one burger. So, I mean, I, th- I think that... Um, you know, just by getting feedback. And as we were implementing the changes, we, we constantly were in contact with our regulars and see what they thought. And that really uh, was important. Their feedback was important to us. Is there anything that you think has followed you from Boston that has influenced you in the way you cook or the ingredients you use? Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, it's, it's also, I mean, more technique, work ethic, those things. It was kind of my, I was a little bit younger when I was in Boston cooking, but I've also, I've worked in Florida and Pennsylvania and Boston, Northern California, Southern California. So 
I've worked in quite a few areas where I kind of pull a little bit from everywhere now. So I don't think any one area defines me. What do you think have been some of the biggest challenges about being at Absinthe and being the executive chef here? Um, we have a massive staff here, you know, 40 plus employees between Arlequin and Absinthe. You know, they both come out of the same kitchen. And, you know, I mean, most of our staff, I would say 95% of them has been here for many years. Um, but, you know, there's so many restaurants in the Bay Area, it's, it's hard to keep a full staff. When one person leaves, it makes a big difference. You don't have backup players, you know. It's not, uh, it's not like a, a football team where you have a second string. It's, we don't have that. You know, it's, if, you're, if you're out of person, it's sous chefs and chefs fill in those positions. So I think that's a challenge for most chefs in the city here. Retaining talent. and mm-hmm. So how do you balance the... I don't think it's very common for a kitchen to serve two different restaurants. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys balance that? Uh, we don't. <laughs> we try. I mean, we, you know, the thing is, we, we, yeah, I, I always say it's the most efficient kitchen there is because the amount of people, I mean, a six-foot work table could have four or five people working off it. It's tight, um, but we always make it happen. You know, it's, I think, for just the limited space, that's the challenge. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the guests would ever recognize or, under, or see that in the, in the final product that there is a struggle to begin with. But we, you know, we really do make it happen. What, how would you describe Arlequin Cafe? Um, to me, it's a kind of French and California-inspired cafe. Um, we do a lot of freshly baked pastries that we bake down in our bake shop down the street. Soups and salads, sandwiches, really straightforward entrees. It's just a casual version of uh, some of the same type of things I would do at Absinthe with you know more focus on sandwiches as well. It's become also kind of a tech hangout spot. Um, <laughs> how do you see that changing the atmosphere, if at all? Well, I mean, we, we want it to be a place where people can come and kind of hang out a little bit, you know, and that's why the garden out back is just, to me, that's oasis in San Francisco. It's hard to find those type of things. And the fact that we have the wine shop uh, adjacent to it, and you can get a bottle of wine, you can get some food and, and sit outside, I think that's uh, really the, the key, key feature for, for Arlequin. I remember walking down the street once um, after a long day, and I had never noticed the wine bar before, and mm-hmm. it was just the best discovery I'd ever made. There was Wi-Fi, there yep. was I could get a glass of wine, mm-hmm. and there was a window seat, and uh, looking out on the street in Hayes Valley, it was just it was awesome. Yeah, and one of the things we're going to start doing too is you know the menu right now doesn't really have too many options that really pair with the wine. I mean, not specifically, but now we're going to be launching a little appetizer um, section that is really, you know, focused on pairing with some of the wines that we have at the shop. That's great. And because you're also known on the absence side for the bar and the martini and the cocktail options. Yeah. So do you have any kind of influence on that? And do you work with the the bar staff a lot with that? I work with the bar manager mainly on seasonal products. You know, I'll tell him what really is good right now. And he'll design drinks, seasonal drinks around, you know, whatever's um, the best at the market at the time. For example, you know, in the next few weeks, we'll start getting in peaches and apricots and things like that. And what I'll usually do is either make some kind of puree or compote that he can kind of make drinks out of, or we'll we'll collaborate sometimes on different uh, flavors that could go into cocktails, whether it's in simple syrups or garnishes or whatnot. But yeah, Again, mainly on seasonality. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Me too. It's not five o'clock yet. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> so what's your favorite drink out of the absinthe? The 21 Haze. Um, <laughs> that's that's definitely my favorite. But usually I have a double, so they call it the 42 Haze. That's awesome. That's chef style. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love that you didn't even skip a beat. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone asks you this, but what, what's your favorite item on the menu to prepare? You know, it changes always, I have to say, but, you know, we just put on yesterday a pork belly dish that's phenomenal it's kind of based off a traditional cassoulet where we kind of stew down butter beans with bacon and mirepoix and um, a really flavorful pork braise and then you know i sous vide the pork belly for about 24 hours and then we weight it in a non-stick pan and crisp the skin so it's just chicharrones basically you know cracklins so that's i think that one's really exciting right now and we just went on the menu last night that sounds delicious yeah. <laughs> i think i will be making a reservation here very soon <laughs> please do <laughs> um what's your biggest motivation for doing what you do and with um what's your goal as a chef i think motivation wise i think it's my staff i mean i think um, they motivate me and i motivate them back and what's great about this staff is they they work really hard they never complain and it's it's kind of unique, I think the, the the team we have here, and I think it just it's because of the whole team dynamic together. They're you know, they're, I think when you take the complaining out of a kitchen, you really can strive, and you get a lot of that in many kitchens. I mean, I've been doing this for twenty years, and this is this is a group that does not complain. Whether it's the last ticket of the night or the first ticket of the day, or your station's not set up, or something happened that you know you weren't ready on time. It's just it, they, they seem to really hold it together and hold composure. And so that motivates me. You know, it makes me want to work just as hard for them. Why do you think they are like that? I don't know. I think work ethic. I think that, you know, the challenges that of, of absinthe, the spatial restraints and things like that, you know, it, maybe it's just uh, they have a, a higher threshold for working in a kitchen and the little things don't bother them because, you know, you have to deal with other bigger problems. So Yeah, that makes sense. What's been the most rewarding thing about having done what you've done and being the chef now at Absinthe and even just looking back on the other roles that you've had? To me, I mean, a full restaurant really says it all. You know, if you can fill your seats, you're doing something right. You know, we have guests come back time and time again, and they're they're making reservations multiple times a month. And to me, that really is the highest honor, you know, and it's a testament to the staff, commitment to quality and hard work as well. In your in your life, who's inspired you the most? I'd probably say my wife Emily. I mean, she she's a really hard worker, and she has a really tough job as well. I I think my job's tough, but you know, she is a behavioral therapist, and for many years, and uh, she works with well, she kind of manages now therapists, but uh, for years she was a therapist with autistic kids, and she she works really hard and long hours. Um, it's demanding, and it's to me, it's it's very honorable what she does. So that inspires me. How did you guys meet? We met in a, a bar in Orange County <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. after after a long Saturday night, and uh, she was playing video golf, and I was kind of watching her. And then we, by the end of the night, we were talking. That's great. Yeah. Ah, uh, beachside bar romance. Exactly <laughs> in San Clemente. What are you looking forward to next and what sort of what what more can you get from your career now at this point? Well, to me, I mean, I just want to grow with the absinthe group. I I really see a bright future with I am not looking to move anytime soon. I I really enjoy working with Billy Russell Shapiro and Eric Faridi, the uh, 
managers here, owner and director of operations here, and I think that they're growing the company at the right pace. Um, you know, it's it's slow and steady, and we're we're not trying to open up restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. We're doing at a pace where we can control things a little bit better, and really focus on the quality and stick to our our guns on how we how we you know design our restaurants, how we our our conception of service and food. So you know, I think that's that's one of the reasons I I'd love to stick around with this company for years. Yeah. And it sounds like there's a lot of new things happening and new restaurants opening. And yeah, yeah, we're the like I said earlier, the restaurant Bayota should be opening by the end of the year at 888 Brandon, and that we're lo- really looking forward to that. That's going to be a Spanish concept. Because there's a few different bars and restaurants that are part of the Absinthe Group. How do they all work together? Um, well, each the way Billy likes to do it, and I I appreciate that is is which is different than many many companies. Um, where each restaurant has its own identity, you know, and I think that each chef is trained in that specific area. For example, you know, Boxing Room is developed around a Cajun, Cre- it's a Cajun Creole restaurant. And Justin Simino from South Louisiana, he's super passionate about those flavors. Um, that restaurant was kind of designed around him, you know. Um, Comstock Saloon was designed around Jeff Hollinger and Johnny Raglan. And Ronnie News, the chef over there, kind of reinventing uh, traditional saloon fare. You know, and then Ryan McElraith, being Bayota, has a really strong Italian and Spanish background of cooking. So he finds people that have a unique talent and, and uh, you know, designs things around them as well. So I think that's one of the things I appreciate about the owner here. I have two last questions. Mm-hmm. How have you seen San Francisco evolve over, over your time that you've been here? And how do you describe the food relationship that the residents have and the food in the city? In the last few years, there's been a ton of openings. There's a lot of restaurants now, so there's a lot more competition. I think that the food is definitely evolving in a way from, you know, maybe 10 years ago, there was a lot of higher-end dining. And I think that a lot of more, you know, there's a lot more restaurants that are casual, high-end food. So I think that is kind of what people are going for now is something that is a you know, a lower price point, you're still getting that high-end quality of food, but at a little bit of a lower price point in a more casual atmosphere. And I think that's really what the trend is is going towards, and Absinthe fits right into that. We've been doing that for years. So I think that uh, that's where food is going here. Last question. What does your family think about where you've come and, and what you're doing now? Well, they love it. I mean, they've, they've been to every restaurant that I've ever worked at. So they've seen the progression from pizza nachos to you know <laughs> my new pork belly you know I, I think it's to me it's it's rewarding I and you know I, I really appreciate that since I've started at Absinthe family have come here and said this is the best restaurant you've ever been at you know and I think my, the last restaurant I really I, I loved it we did a great thing and it was an amazing beautiful restaurant but it just it, maybe it was a little pretentious and I think if you suck all the pretentiousness out of it that's what you have here is I'm doing the same style of food as that I did before, uh, maybe a little bit more French driven, but the pretentiousness um, has been taken out and it's a lot more approachable. And that's really what I've wanted to head towards in my career is I think as you get older, you simplify and simplify a little bit more and you gain a little bit more confidence by keeping things less busy. Why do you think so many fine dining restaurants embrace that pretension? 
Well, I think that that's what people wanted for a while. They, they, you know, they wanted to go to a restaurant and be taught about what was in the dish and, and have a waiter come to the, the table and have some very long, drawn-out description of what it is. And maybe that's what people wanted at some point. But I think that you know, now it's coming back to more about when you go out to dinner, you're with your group. You know, you're enjoying each other's company, and it's not about the restaurant. The restaurant's here to enhance your night, and that's really the philosophy of Absinthe, is we're providing a space where you can come and enjoy each other's company. We're getting everything you need, but not in being intrusive into your into your night. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat. You're welcome. I will let you get back to preparing for lunch. That's opening soon. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> As you can imagine, Absinthe gets quite busy, so make a reservation and treat yourself to some of the city's best food from Chef Adam's Kitchen. And if you'd rather pop in for lunch, I recommend the Arlequin Meatball Sandwich and the Chocolate Pretzel Croissant, maybe not at the same time, which you can enjoy in Arlequin Cafe's beautiful garden patio. On the next episode of Menu Stories, we get to meet Caleb Zegas, Executive Director of La Cocina, a nonprofit organization in the Mission District that helps low-income residents become thriving food entrepreneurs. Get the episode delivered to your inbox by subscribing on MenuStories.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, happy eating. Happy eating.